Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Bars to the Bar. Today, I'm going to continue talking about the NCAA and very important Supreme Court case. Just on Wednesday, the United States Supreme Court questioned whether amateurism is an essential part of the NCAA's business model during the landmark hearing of the future of college sports, while also the justices expressed concerns about starting a slippery soap of judicial reelings that could lead to the destruction of the great American tradition of college sports. So on Wednesday, the Supreme Court heard more than 90 minutes of oral arguments in the NCAA versus Alston case, which is a case that originated in California about athletes being compensated. And this case is historic because it marks, it marks the first time in the nation's highest courts have weighed in on the business of college sports in nearly four decades. And the president that was set four decades ago is heavily relied on by both parties. So the main question that's in front of the Supreme Court is whether the NCAA deserves special relief from the normal antitrust rules in order to protect its mission and preserve a tradition of amateurism in college sports. So to boil it down as simplistic as I can, the NCAA is arguing that athletes should not be paid because that would get rid of the appeal of college sports and people would have to wouldn't have the option to pick whether they are going to watch and be invested in college sports versus professional sports because there's no line between the two and the court the NCAA is arguing that the California courts misinterpreted the definition of amateurism and I'll go into both sides a little bit later but basically just a little bit of background on um, the federal district court in California in the Alston case in 2020 stated that the NCAA cannot limit um, athletes' compensation. And then this ruling opened the doors for athletes to receive unlimited benefits as long as they're related in some way to education. So the benefits of this would allow is classroom equipment, they can study abroad, funding for postgraduate internships and ca cash payments for academic achievement. So all of these things are not currently accessible to NCAA athletes. And I listened to the entire Supreme Court oral arguments. It's obviously very cool to be a law student right now. I just did my first oral argument, but to hear the Supreme Court discuss something that I'm so passionate about and so um, invested in, and I can't wait to see the outcome is really, really, really cool. And I'm really excited to kind of share what's going on and to kind of understand the situation better myself. So let's just dive right into the oral arguments. So obviously we are in the midst of March Madness this weekend. Um, is the final four. We've had excellent competition for the women's tournament. Um, I'm glad that the focus is now on the actual play um, versus all the discrepancies. Um, men's final four, women's final four next weekend. Really excited. A really interesting point that I want to bring up quickly is that during the women's final four, the engagement was double the men's. So super proud of that. Um, but let's jump right into it. So if you live under a rock, um, and you don't know what the NCAA is. The NCAA is an organization with 1,000 member colleges and universities. And according to the NCAA website, they are dedicated to the lifelong well being and success of college athletics. Under the NCAA rules, which there are 9,000 of them, colleges and universities can pay for the athletes' legitimate educational expenses, which includes tuition and fees, room and board, and books. It also includes, quote unquote, modest awards for athletic or academic achievement. But athletes who are paid for playing sports or 
um, have any endorsement deals are deemed ineligible under the NCAA and cannot rule. So the case that was heard on Wednesday before the Supreme Court, NCAA versus Alston, began as a class action in 2014 by Division I football and basketball players against the NCAA. And this lawsuit is arguing about the NCAA's restrictions on eligibility and compensation and how it violates federal antitrust laws because the, restriction, the restrictions prevent college athletes from receiving fair market conversation for their labor. And the federal district court in California gave the athletes a partial victory. The NCAA freaked out and appealed to about appealed the decision from the Ninth Circuit and appealed to the Supreme Court and they decided to take this case last year. Um, just a quick note um, just about court cases in general. For a case for the Supreme Court to hear a case, it is a huge deal. They get thousands and thousands of cases um, on appeal every single year. So this case is obviously a big deal. And the Supreme Court mainly picks cases um, that are really important. Obviously, this is really important for a really important case for the future of college athletics. This obviously is a very important hot button issue right now. Um, so great for the Supreme Court that they decided um, to bring this case. So the NCAA's main argument um, was they want to reverse the Ninth Circuit ruling because they characteristic characterized it as a judicial micromanagement and said that it would uh, that this ruling would destroy American institution of college sports, which is absolutely a stretch and a half. But the NCAA's argument is what differentiates college sports from professional sports is that college sports are played by amateurs and by definition, amateurs are not paid. So having amateurs in college sports, the NCAA argues, would promote competition by giving consumers the choice between watching the NBA versus watching um, college basketball. And that's just an example. But the choice that is only possible, the NCAA is saying, because of the agreement that the NCAA and its members will not allow their athletes to be paid. So the main case that both sides refer to is a 1984 case called NCAA versus Board of Regions of the University of Oklahoma. And that was an antitrust challenge to the NCAA's plan to televise college football games. And that recognized that the NCAA rules are reasonably related to preserving amateurism in college sports and should be upheld against antitrust challenge um, that the courts would normally imply. So the Supreme Court obviously took this case um, and they've been relying on that rule um, throughout the entire on both sides. I kept referring back to regions and the regions rule and the regions rule. So that's obviously a big deal here. And should the regions rule be upheld? So several lower courts have followed suit with this regions rule. And the NCAA is not saying that they want an exception from the antitrust laws, but it's saying that its eligibility rules should be enforced and should continue um, because that this is like NCAA is saying that this is my favorite argument that the NCAA made. I don't agree with it at all, but I think that it's just laughable to be honest with you. Um, the NCAA claimed that they are not a commercial venture, which is absolutely ridiculous given everyone's knowledge of how much college coaches are paid, how much athletic directors are paid, and the amount of revenue that college athletics brings in. So for the NCAA to say that it's not a commercial venue is a little laughable to me. But regardless, I won't be as um, hard on the NCAA right now as I'm trying to explain this and not be biased at all. It's obviously um, set on what side I rest in this case. But the NCAA says that Part of this reasoning is that it allows college athletes 
um, to create a sense of community among students and faculty, a public profile that attracts new students. Um, and if it were to operate as a commercial venue, it would operate differently. It would have different rules and practices um, in order to maximize revenue, which I think is exactly what the NCAA is doing, but whatever. They're claiming that they're not a commercial um, revenue based thing, which is laughable. Anyway, the last thing that the NCAA argues is that even under the most strict antitrust review, known as the rule of reason, the rule of reason was something that came up a million times during the oral arguments, the Ninth Circuit used the wrong definition of what it meant to be an amateur. So the Ninth Circuit defined an amateur as defining as athletes allowing to be paid anything except unlimited amounts unrelated to education. So that definition, the NCAA argues, conflicts with the Supreme Court's decision in the Board of Regions, which recognize that what distinguished college and professional sports and defines the entire NCAA product that they wish to offer is that college athletes are not paid to play. So that's the phrase that pays here. The NCAA is saying our athletes will not be paid to play, obviously, the athletes have a completely different argument, but to just wrap up what the NCAA is saying that under the Ninth Circuit ruling, a school could theoretically say that a star athlete will have a half million dollar quote unquote internship at a sneaker company and it was related to education, even though we all know that it really wasn't really um, related to education at all and if there was, even was a quote unquote internship. Um, there. So that's what the Ninth Circuit basically held. Obviously, the NCAA would be upset because of that ruling. And here we are at the Supreme Court. So on the other end, the athlete's argument is that college basketball and college football, primarily, this is what this case is based in, so that's what I'm going to focus on, um, have become amazingly marketable ventures. There are seven-figure coaches' salaries, television, television contracts worth billions of dollars, the commercials. I mean, it's a really, really profitable, profitable business. So the demands on athletes who play college sports, this is all college sports now, are significant. They're not able to have regular jobs. They're not able to have the same class schedules. They're working at their craft and practice 40 hours a week plus. 40 hours is a little a little low, I think, for some programs. And this is at all levels, division one, two, three. I mean, the NCAA has 1,000 members. So the athletes are saying that because they work um, tirelessly throughout the week, they don't have the same opportunities that regular students have. They should be compensated in other ways. So what the NCAA and the conferences are asking for is an outright exception from the federal antitrust laws. But what the athletes are arguing that this question is really more appropriate for Congress who makes the laws rather than the courts. So the Supreme Court actually created an exemption for baseball in the 1920s. And that's what the athletes refer to because there was a whole case regarding how, how, much, how much television time could baseball be um, shown on air. So that was the case back in the 1920s and the athletes rely on that president as well. They also, the athletes also rely on the Supreme Court decision in regions that the NCAA's restriction on the number of college basketballs that, that, excuse me, the number of college football games that could be televised has nothing to do with the limits on compensation for college athletes. So basically the athletes are saying that the NCAA's argument has nothing in their reliance on regions has absolutely nothing to do with when they should be paid. It just has to do with limiting um, what can be televised and what are the, um, the prices and dealing with that.
So the athletes also say that Regents was decided 37 years ago and college football and college basketball and all college athletics, um, especially women's sports, um, have evolved in the commercial enterprises and the magnitude of which the court held in 1980. So basically they're saying that the times are changing and it's time for the courts um, to get with that change and allow athletes to be compensated. And I just want to point out too that is obviously is different um, a little bit than the name, image, and likeness, but obviously it's tied together. Um, so just want to quick point that out there. Um, so also another cool thing about um, the Supreme Court oral arguments is that friends of the court also weighed in on this. So there's different states and different people that also sent their support and their dismay for um for the Supreme Court to hear. So obviously there is a lot to discuss here. There's a lot to talk about here. Um, this this, this case could be life-changing for um, college athletics. This could be, I mean, if they're able to get compensation for their play, obviously the power schools are going to benefit one of the Supreme Court justices um, offered this explanation and said that um, if this if this were to be allowed and they were to rule in the athletes' favor, wouldn't it just benefit the Ohio States and the Alabamas? Um, and that's definitely true. But I think that again, the times are changing, and like this is the time for the Supreme Court to rule. I'm honestly going to say I'll be very surprised if it rules the other way. Um, I just based on the questions that the Supreme Court justices were asking, it seemed to me, I mean, the questions were obviously really hard and were really well thought out of, but I just, I really hope that this, um, this turns in the athlete's favor. And I think that I really, I hope it will. That's all I really have to say here. But some of the questions um, that the Supreme Court justices that I wanna, I wanna talk about um, that I really like enjoyed listening to was Justice Scalia, um, not Justice Scalia, I lied, just, oh my God, Justice Alito, not Justice Alito said, excuse me, I cannot speak right now, that athletes already receive some kind of compensation because they get scholarships, they get stipends, they get other benefits. And I understand totally where he's coming from. Um, but I just think they deserve more. And obviously I'm super biased, um, like, having like seen what the athletes go through and just the constant, like a lot of people don't understand too with college athletics is yes. Like when your sports in season, like that's your main priority. And that's like what 90% of your time is devoted to, but there's really no like off season. Like as soon as our season's over, they get like one, two, like three days off. And then they're right back in the gym doing individual workouts, doing different kind of workouts. So there's not, there's not an off season for college athletics. I don't know what the case is for D2, D3, but our guys are there um, at Providence over the summer. They're working camp, they're working out. There's really no off season. I mean, they're playing during Thanksgiving. They're playing during Christmas. There's, It's really like a full-time job essentially. And they should be um, properly compensated and have post-grad opportunities, have study abroad opportunities if they want to. And then that definitely leads into the question of how, like where is the cap here? And that's a lot of the things that the Supreme Court justices 
were referring to, they said that if they rule in the athlete's favor, this would open the floodgates and it's a slippery slope argument for future legislations. And I see kind of where they're coming from. Um, just as Kavanaugh talked about what's the end game here and what's the end game for the plaintiffs to feel satisfied in the future. Um, Justice Kagan talked about the floodgates argument. What's next um, is going to go up and up and up. That'll be as soon will be a regular labor market. And I definitely think that that's a legitimate concern. And that's the direction that it would probably go in, um, given that you have a thousand school, and I don't even know how many college athletes that would that would be able to benefit from this. But I was just listening to Token CEO before, um, and she had Sedona um, on, and she talked about exposing the NCAA and all the injustices and her storytelling and how her following um, that she's constantly contacted by sponsors wanting to wanting wanting them wanting Sedona to promote her their products to her following and I think that if this legislation is passed in the name image and likeness like it's just like it's going to explode it's going to change college college athletics and I fully support it because of women like Sedona because they are the ones that are going to profit the most and I think that what's really, really interesting and cool about our generation, my generation and society today is that you don't necessarily need to go to a power conference or a power school or be the best basketball player to have a social media following. So I think it's going to be a very interesting landscape because you're going to have basically like walk-ons exploding and going crazy and being able to benefit off of their name, name image and likeness whereas they might never see the basketball court. So it really is all going to depend primarily, I believe, on social media. And I think that obviously with sponsorships and looking at it from a business standpoint, obviously sponsors are going to want to have the most following and they're going to want to like sell their products. They want to have athletes that are the people are going to listen to. And obviously you're going to want an athlete that has 3 million, 4 million followers, as opposed to maybe a really, really good athlete who doesn't really have the social media following. So it's very, very, very interesting to think about that, that yes, they're college athletes, but you're entering a whole different landscape when you're talking about profitability and how much um, sponsorship and ads. Obviously there is somewhat of a correlation between being a fantastic athlete and having that um, athletic ability. But I think there's also like a small window where you don't necessarily have to be the best on the team um, to get that travel experience, to um, make TikToks about traveling or life of a D1 athlete. Um, I think it's really, really interesting. And I'm I really, really hope that the Supreme Court rules in favor of the athletes. I think they deserve to be paid for um, their athletic ability. I think they deserve to, obviously a lot of people um, are saying that like, isn't it enough that they get they get tuition, they get room and board. Um, another argument that the Supreme Court justices also brought up was what is the benefit of a football player to kind of take advantage of the system, I wanna say, um, and play for three years, get free tuition, get free room and board, and then just leave for the NFL, like who benefits there? And I think that I see both, definitely see both sides there um, with, the with the football rule about three years, obviously different with the NBA. Um, I, see I see what the Supreme Court justices are saying and I see their concern but that wouldn't be as much of an issue if that same college football player was able to benefit 
um, financially starting out from um, his freshman year. And I think that another thing too, is that if athletes are able to be paid, paid for the academic achievements, paid for study abroad, I think that it's really not going to matter as much as where um, they go to college. And I think that another really cool thing that um, among the awesome things that came out of this year's March Madness is that I hope that recruits see that it really doesn't matter what quote unquote school you go to if you're not on a team that you're going to obviously play well and, and fit in and know your role. So I think that like when you look at like Oral Roberts, for example, and how far they went, I mean, like look at all the schools that didn't play when they're playing. And I think that it's really, really interesting. Also quickly, I just, um, I reached out to Donius and Fordo today asking about the transfer portal because it seems like everybody and their mother is transferring schools. So for college basketball, you no longer need to sit out for years. So if you transfer schools, you can immediately start playing. Um, and I think that it's a little crazy that so many um, players or I would argue role players at some schools um, are transferring. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, obviously Roy Williams announced he's retiring today. There's some talk about Jay Wright possibly taking that position at UNC. I doubt that he will leave for Villanova. Um, we'll see end of the Loyola Chicago coach is a hot commodity right now. Um, Marquette hired their coach. Shaka uh, is coming there. So lots, lots and lots and lots going on with, um, the college athletics right now. I'm just really trying to absorb as much information as I possibly can. Um, I'm really excited for the final four. It was really, really, really cool um, to hear this, the oral arguments for this case in front of the highest court and to hear the justices. This is the first Supreme Court case I actually like listened to the oral arguments. So that was really, really awesome um, to see and hear and like have been following this case for a while now. Um, I'm really interested in um, what what the court holds and what it what the future looks like for um, college athletics. I know Sedona is also in her own class action suing the NCAA. Um, I'm excited. I another guest in the Token CEO podcast was the Baylor um, women's coach. She's like a little firecracker. It was awesome to hear her. Um, I was cracking up because she said that as soon as like she gets home from San Antonio. Um, she is going to go to the NCAA offices and speak to the female employees about all the discrepancies that occurred during the NCAA women's tournament. So that was awesome to hear. Um, side note of all this NCAA sports law stuff, I am in my spring trimester of law school. Sometimes I forget on this podcast that it is a law school podcast, um, but I mean, like I'm super passionate about everything that's going on um, in the NCAA basketball world in particular. Obviously the Supreme Court case is huge, um, huge for the future. I believe I have a summer internship working at a sports agency. Um, he is an agent that works primarily with international FIBA basketball players. So wish me luck. Um, I'm pretty sure it's like confirmed. I'm applying, I'm applying to do it as an externship, but I don't want to like jump the gun and be all excited about it. I'm meeting with him tomorrow to talk about Eurobasket 
and um, kind of educate the both of us on that. So I'm super excited about that. I'm super excited to have actual experience working with FIBA contracts, working with FIBA agents, and starting to kind of get the feel of what exactly a sports agent does in the day-to-day. So I'm super excited for that. Um, yeah, it's a great time to be in law school. It's a great time to be a woman who wants to enter this sports field. It's a great time for social media and for people to raise their voices and call out injustices um, for, for corporations like the NCAA. I don't even know if I can call it a corporation. Um, I don't think it's a corporation, but I just did. But shout out to Sedona for standing up to this big giant, which is the NCAA and inspiring more women to stand up for what's right and like to when there's things are wrong to call them out. And yeah, um, quick shout out to, um, I believe her name is Olivia. I posted on my Facebook group. She's a fourth grader. She was inspired by the U.S. women's soccer team. She started a petition to air more women's sports on ESPN. So if you're listening this far, go to my Facebook page and sign the petition. And thanks for listening to episode 22 of Bars to the Bar.